Welcome to the Imperfectly Perfect Campaign, sharing real-life stories from real people to unite them in global change for the face of mental health. We will also reduce the stigma, creating communication, healing, and awareness to save lives and inspire. Join us weekly as we talk to some of the highly acclaimed faces, influencers, experts, and others who have been through extreme adversity. All right, guys, so welcome to another episode of the Imperfectly Perfect podcast. Today, I have got an incredible guy coming to you from the US. So as I do, I go straight into a bio, and then we're going to get straight into the hard-hitting questions. What I wanted to do, first of all, is basically go into this guy's mission, because it actually it stands out, and I think it's amazing, and what we're going to touch upon later. But okay, so Frank Elleridi's goal is to be a catalyst for transformation in people's lives, to inspire them to take control of their spiritual and physical well-being by sharing real people's experiences, providing useful information and resources. Our intention is to create content people connect with so they can pursue the best version of themselves. Our mission is to bring inspiration and information to everybody in the world. If you're human, you have the potential to be human, you, uh, superhuman. So I really want to delve into that later, but I'm going to give you a backstory of, uh, of Frank covering everything from Syrian refugee camps to the Academy Awards. He's a four-time Emmy Award-winning journalist working mostly for ABC Network News and Extra TV. It can also be seen on Good Morning America and ABC's digital platforms, most notably giving viewers a backstage look into Dancing with the Stars. Frank wanted a place for truth seekers to share stories about spirituality and health, so he created a YouTube channel with that focus, now called Modern Nirvana. The YouTube channel covers everything from people who have tapped into their pineal gland and can see it while completely blindfolded to the real-life Thor taking the DNA text. There you'll also find his journey with a plant medicine in Costa Rica, stem cell surgery to treat a shoulder injury, and incredible videos of people around the world who have opened their third eyes. So firstly, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's amazing. I mean, we met on this new application, Clubhouse, and like I said, I think it was probably three months ago now, you was actually doing a talk on uh, Britt Bonson's uh, group. And I was listening to your story then. So it's just serendipitous how we've ended up on this podcast together. It's, it's, it's amazing. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of synchronicity there. I know. It's, I love how it's all unfolding. And then you're spiritual and the more this campaign's evolving, it's, it's leading to a lot more spiritual people. But as I always do with the campaign, it's really to get to know the person behind the profession. So you have obviously gone through an incredible career. And when I saw a viewer's backstage looking to Dancing with the Stars, do you know where J.R. Martin is? No. <laughs> so he was, he, he was the winner of one of the seasons. Um, he was actually... In the US? Yeah, he was a veteran and he went over a landmine. Um, I think he... I remember that. He had missing limbs. That was before, right? No, so he got like, um, I think it was around 30% of uh, burns all over his body and he went on to win Dancing with the Stars and then Networks with Oprah Winfrey and he's an incredible guy. But um, yeah, I've done the last seven seasons, so he must have been before that. Uh, yeah, I think it was early on, but yeah. incredible. So tell me about Frank behind the scenes. How did you get started in the career that you're in? And then tell me everything. Well, when I was a kid, I wanted to, it was so funny. I think I wanted to be like an actor. I grew up in LA and, um, you know, I was doing a lot of plays and things like that. But then I realized I, I didn't really like acting. I think I just liked the attention. I liked reading scripts. I loved like reading stories. And when it was time to go to college, um, I, I didn't even think I wanted to go to college. And my mom was like, well, you should go and major in journalism because you love to write. 
and it's you can still be on camera you're just not acting mm. um so i thought okay i mean i'll try it and so i majored in journalism and i just fell in love with it and realized that that's what i wanted to do and i was lucky because while i was still in college i was interning at abc and then eventually producing for abc even while still in college so i was working you know side by side with people like diane sawyer and barbara walters and these incredible American journalists um, at a very young age, like uh, 21, probably 21, 22 years old. And you then I eventually. Like, you make it sound like a long time ago. You still look young, mate. <laughs> You're still 32, 32. So this is like 11 years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm glad my moisturizer is working. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so, um, so I, that's what I was doing. And eventually, you know, just climbed the ranks and, and got to do a lot better stories and really cool assignments. But then I just realized that what I really wanted to do um, was tell the stories that kind of reflected more of my personal life. Um, but there wasn't really a place for that on TV. So I created the YouTube channel Modern Nirvana. So tell me a little bit more about that. Like, obviously, I've just read your mission with that, which is incredible. And I got to hear um some of your story on both those times that i've met you before so tell our audience more about that because i think it's amazing what you do thank you yeah it's it's really interesting it's um it's a place where we talk to thought leaders like deepak chopra marianne williamson just like really incredible people and also document phenomenons like spiritual phenomenons happening around the world whether it's going to um this healer named john of god in brazil or going to somebody like Shaman Durek, who you know, or um, these Indian gurus who can um, who can tr who train people to basically see out of their pineal gland, um, documenting things like that, and then also just like fun stuff sometimes, like uh, a cooking competition or taking a DNA test, like you just read in the bio with somebody they call the real life Thor uh, because he's like six foot eight and has you know long blonde hair and muscles, and so. <laughs> Uh, he's kind of been coined Thor. Um, yeah, so it's just all kinds of really fun things. Taking DNA tests, trying out biohacking, um, getting stem cell injections. It's just, I mean, the kind of things I cover are really, really fun, but it just reflects what my real life is and my own curiosity. And so I just want to, sh you know, kind of share that with people. You know what interests me when, when you're sharing stories and you've gone on your own journey like that, and it's kind of attesting to the campaign. It's I want to show people that it started with clinical psychologists, this holistic therapist, and then spirituality. So everyone works very differently. What works for one person might not for the other. What have you yeah. found along your journey? Was you open to spirituality? Was you close to it? Because for me, I was always open. And, and I don't want people who are listening to think, oh, well, now it's gone down a route of spirituality. I want people to notice that this thing's for everyone. So what was your journey with that? I was always open and I grew up in a very spiritual household. Um, so none of this, like when I hear things about, you know, meditation or even reincarnation or God or angels or, you know, yoga, any of these things were all openly discussed in my house um, growing up. So I was always open to it, but I wouldn't say I was ever really spiritual. Um, I don't know if this answers your question, but I wasn't really spiritual until I think I was in college and I was living with somebody who was extremely spiritual, um, very successful businessman who was a family member. 
And um, he was letting me stay in his house while I was in college just to help me out. And he, this guy would meditate, you know, for hours a day, hours and hours. And so I was, it was like his birthday and I was trying to find him a gift. So I went to the bookstore and I was looking for like meditation books and stuff. Cause I thought that's what he would like, even though he didn't need it. It's so funny, but you know, that's what I was thinking. I would get him. And this book literally fell off the shelf. Um, as I was like looking at other books or pulling books from the shelf, you know, one fell to the ground and it was like something about Kundalini yoga for beginners or something. And it just sounded really interesting. So I got two copies. I got one for him and one for me. And after reading it, I started looking for a, like a, a place where I could learn yoga and, or Kundalini yoga specifically. And it turned out LA had like, you know, um, the, like the places to go for that. And so, and so I, I went and I just fell in love with it. And, it, I, and I was taught by the person, um, her name is Tej. She was like Yogi Bhajan's transcriber of all, he was the one who brought Kundalini Yoga to the West and she was his official transcriber. So I was like learning from the source. It was pretty amazing. Um, but it's actually funny that you ask this because as I was talking right now, these, this comment came up, uh, I get these like YouTube notifications sometimes about one of my Kundalini videos and the comment just said demonic. And it's so funny because there are so many people who are closed off spiritually, or maybe they're extremely religious, whether it be Christianity or Islam or whatever, um, that think yoga or Kundalini or anything like that is demonic. That always has been so surprising to me. I don't know where that might come from. I think it's the new Christians that think that because if you go to like Coptic Christians or the Egyptians or Ethiopians where really Christianity began, um, they don't have, they're not afraid of spirituality. And they talk about, they, they talk in Christic terminology, but it's still um, a very open um, dialogue that sounds so different from what I hear in places in like Western countries. Um, so it's just so funny for me when they, it's, it, I always sometimes want to just ask them like, have you tried it? And what makes it demonic? And like, what, what part of it do you think is demonic? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I'm also always open too. like when they say things like that, I actually want to know because I'm like, well, maybe it is demonic. Let me know where you, you know, what your perspective is. I want to know. Yeah. Cause we're always learning, aren't we? And I think what you just said, yeah. then, I, I've never understood is that when people are closed off to things, it, it's almost like whether it's business, whether it's anything else, I'm like, if something's not working for you, why not just be open to it? Cause you never yeah. know. It might just change your life or it might just, so my own journey, like when I was sharing the other day, is, is just something that I've just suddenly grown into. But when it, when it comes to you and the, like, obviously the accolades that you've, you've achieved through your awesome career and everything, with attesting to the campaign being about well-being, mental health, and you've obviously seen a lot of things within that industry, how have you managed to maintain or navigate through an industry that you do need to have mental clarity? You do come up against sometimes ego and competition and how have you navigated yeah. all that? Well, I do think that also, it's funny because I do think that not having as much of an ego, well, everybody has an ego, but you know, yeah. doing the things that I do to kind of suppress it or challenge the ego um, is, has made me probably less successful in that field. Um, you know, I, I, I do think that in journalism, there's a lot of ego and even more sometimes than the, these like divas that you hear about pop divas like Mariah, you know, Mariah Carey or JLo, we hear these things of like, Oh, such a diva. Mm -hmm. Sometimes in the journalism world, there are a lot more where, where I've heard stories where 
like one will call the others, like one team will call the other one's team just to say, don't wear red. She's wearing red, you know, like, cause they don't want to both be wearing red on camera or something, or they really, I mean, like think about it when there's so many networks, you know, there used to be three ABC, NBC, and CBS in America at least. Um, and now there's like between cable and online and network TV, there's hundreds, if not more. And so they're all competing for the big interview. Like, let's say, who's somebody that hasn't done really an interview? Like Meghan Markle, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Everybody's trying to book her right now. Everybody. So think about how competitive it has to be and how much of an ego you need to have in order to get somebody like that and to book somebody. So I think that, but it's funny because as I kind of dropped the ego, because I did used to want that. I used to want my own show. I wanted, and I thought about how it would look and the guests that I would have. This is like 10 years ago, even. And as I became more and more spiritual, my, it's not even that I became less ambitious because I'm busier than ever now and I'm working on like so many projects. It's more that the kinds of projects shifted. Like I don't really necessarily, I don't necessarily want the things that I wanted. I actually don't even really want to be an on-camera reporter. So I'm happy just kind of producing for the network as they come along. And then, um, and then I just build modern Nirvana in the meantime, you know, we have a, a major conference that we do once a year. We have the YouTube channel. We have a few products coming out right now with publishing companies. So all of that takes a lot of work, but that's so much more fulfilling for me than any of those other like need to be on camera or need to, you know what I mean? Get that big interview. It's not appealing anymore, but all that would just come naturally because I don't want it anymore. Well, I just think even, even talking to you now, like, and I thought it before, like just your energy and I've noticed through, through interviewing a lot of people on this, when you get to that certain place of just like kind of, like you, you say, we all have an ego at a place where we, we grow and we learn, but there's just a demeanor about you where it's just like, meh, like <laughs> a nice energy and a nice flow. And I just want to tell you a little funny story that, that you mentioned between the competition. So there's yeah. an amazing um, journalist in Australia who came on the campaign She's incredible and it went viral. So I don't even know if you know about this, but she was doing an interview on air and she'd been asked at last minute and there was another presenter doing it and there was a lady in the middle and they didn't know it was being recorded. And one of the news anchors called her out for wearing a white blouse because she was wearing a white blouse and it got picked up and it just went viral all over the world. And she came No, that's funny, but that's funny that I made that story. I know. I told that story about, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's so interesting. <laughs> it went everywhere and, and she was like, it, it just blew up and we were both wearing white. And I think the one who called her out, it wasn't in a derogatory way, but it got taken that way and misinterpreted. So it just went boom. And every time she came on the campaign or we put something out, people would comment and going, oh, she's not wearing white. <laughs> so she kind of got known, but she's amazing. But um, when it comes to all the stories that you've heard along your journey, what's one of the standout ones for you where it just blew your way? Oh man. Like as a journalist or as my, in my own, like my YouTube channel. Yeah. I'd say your personal journey where, where someone's really stopped and made you think or a new perspective on life. If you've ever struggled with your mental health and just made it a little bit more clear for you. Yeah, you know what? Um, There was one man named Dr. Pankaj Naram. And um, I saw a TED talk about him 
from who's somebody who is now a really close friend named Dr. Clint Rogers. Mm. And he did this talk about this ancient healer. Uh, no, sorry, this healer who uses ancient Ayurvedic treatments, right? And um, so he basically uses different herbs. He, he, um, he, does, he takes your pulse. And then based on your pulse, he'll tell you what's going on in your body, what herbs to take, and also what um, points in the body to kind of like press on um, to heal the condition. And so um, I, I connected with Dr. Clint Rogers. We became friends. And then I became pretty good friends, actually. Um, he would call me family with Dr. Naram. And um, he actually passed away last year. Uh, suddenly, he was like at the airport um, and just collapsed. And uh, I spoke to his son and it kind of seemed like he knew he was leaving his body. He, his son told me, he was like, oh yeah, in the last few months, he's been giving me a lot of his like favorite books and kind of telling me certain things about life. Um, but what I learned about him, it was really interesting is he said, most people don't know, he said 99% of people, because he sees thousands of people a year. He said 99% of people don't know what it is that they want. Like they can't tell you if you just say, what is it that you want? They, they can't tell you. They can maybe say something vague, like I want to be happy or I want to be healthy, but they can't tell you specifically what it is they want. For example, like I want this kind of health and I want to, by the age of 60 to climb the Himalayas, and I want, like, they can't tell you very specifically what it is they want. Yeah. And he said, and that's really a, an issue, but he said, you know, those, or he said 97%, sorry, people don't know what it is they want. He said, and those 3% who do know what they want usually don't know how, they, how they're going to get it. So that's kind of something that really changed my perspective because then I started to really question, like, well, what is it that I actually want? And another thing that he taught me was, to see that like when, we, when we're told that something is chronic or incurable or you know, this is the only way, that it's not always the truth. I mean, I, I've seen him with people like, for example, a woman who was in her late 50s, I think it was, and desperately wanted children. And she was like finally married to the person she always wanted to be with. And she was like, I really want kids. But the doctors were like, first of all, it's impossible. And second of all, if it does happen, it's gonna be very unhealthy and you could die and the baby could die. Um, so she went to Dr. Naram and of course, I mean, this is, I say allegedly, cause I didn't see it firsthand, but I, the Huff Post actually did an article about it in the Huffington Post. Um, within a few weeks of taking his herbs and doing all the uh, Marma points that he taught her, she was getting her menstrual cycle again. And she eventually had a baby and it was like a healthy baby. So, I mean, I just like, uh, it taught me to really challenge, you know, um, what I'm, what I, what I take in. And I think journalism in general really taught me that, that too, to question and don't just take everything at face value. Love that, love that. And tell me about the, uh, like your, your own journey with, with plant medicine in Costa Rica. I mean, to treat a shoulder injury, tell me a, bit, a little bit about the shoulder injury because what I want to do is obviously relate it. When you're going through something like that, why not just do it in your own country? What made you go on this self-discovery journey and, and to get treatment and yeah, just towards your well-being really as well? Yeah, well, those are kind of two separate stories actually because the, sh the shoulder injury I did stem cells for in the US. Right. Um, in Beverly Hills with this doctor, we, we had injections. Um, and then the plant medicine in Costa Rica was so incredible. I've, I've gone, 
I've done plant medicine more than that, but I've done it twice in ayahuasca, uh, in, in Costa Rica, sorry, four times each time. So eight times in Costa Rica. And I'm actually going again in March and I'm taking my little brother and we'll do it four times again. Um, as in four nights in a row out of the seven nights that were there. And it's just been incredible in the sense that it really, um, well, I'll speak for myself. It really connected with me, with my inner child. And it really, um, I think that's even a lot of where that calmness that you said or how I carry myself or anything like that, it comes from that, um, that journey, those journeys with plant medicine it really creates like new pathways in your brain and new ways of thinking. Psilocybin does that too. And, you know, new pathways in your brain that help you see things differently. And so like a big thing that I study is called A Course in Miracles. And one thing that A Course in Miracles talks about is it says that miracles are just a shift in perception. So miracles are basically, um, expected it's your natural state is to experience miracles and if you're not experiencing them then something's not right and um that's like something's off balance so when you're on plant medicine you're obviously your perception changes you know you're you're hallucinating you're um on you're in really a different level of of consciousness and so it i feel like it's in that space in that shift of, of perception that miracles happen. And so when people do walk in with illnesses or they walk in with anxiety or PTSD, that's a huge one, and they leave without it. And it's usually because there was a shift in perception that took place. And you're able to, that experience is still there. You're just looking at it differently. You don't respond, you don't react to it anymore. You don't have that like, tough reaction with it have you done it before have you done plant medicine i haven't no but i'm listening so intently because like it's so fascinating and i'm like <laughs> it's oh, so I'm beautiful Costa Rica. <laughs> like, yeah yeah or peru there's like a place called i think arcana in peru i haven't gone yet but i've been invited and then i go to rhythmia in costa rica um it's incredible i mean you, can, you should come when i'm there if you can if they have any spots open march 6th until the 13th um well, they've just said in australia our flights aren't being taken for Oh, you no, know, it's kind of like, you're like, ah, you want to go places, but I don't know. Yeah. It's just so fascinating what you do, but for anybody, because of the work you do for anybody listening out there. And I always talk about it now with my journey and everything as well, but what is inner child healing and what needs to take place for you to get there for anybody that doesn't know? Well, I think it's just that most people are disconnected from that inner child. Like inner child for me is like the part of God that is inside of you. And it's just the part of you that wants to be loved and nurtured and even just like told, it's okay, you're doing great, you're doing fine, you know, um, and like coddled and just really babied. And most people can't even really remember who they were when they were little or the dreams they had or how they felt. Or it's like, I'm so connected with that part of myself, but I wasn't always. And the first time it happened with, with plant medicine was when I was, um, it was, like the end of the, so what happens is you start at 8 PM and you're done at like 6 AM. The ceremony's all night and you've already been fasting all day. You can't eat after 2 PM. So after 2 PM you're fasting. And then at 8 PM till 6 AM you're doing the plant medicine. And it was like toward the end of the day, I think we ended at like 6 AM or something. And then there was a yoga class at 7 AM and I took that yoga class, but I was still kind of on the medicine. And 
I was laying on my back and I saw an image of myself as a little kid, like probably five or six years old. And he was like talking to me, full on conversation. And he said, um, and I started crying in real life, like my present self. And he said, why, why are you crying? And I said, um, because I forgot about you. Cause I like, I totally forgot about him. I didn't know who he was anymore. Like I, I forgot that that was me, that I was that little kid once. And he was just like, he was so innocent. He, he just like shrugged his shoulders. He goes, that's okay. He goes, I'm not mad. And, um, and then he said, but from now on, can you just take me everywhere you go? And I just like, I lost it. I started crying again more. And I was like, yeah, yes, I promise. I promise from now on, I'll take you everywhere. And since then, since then I really have, I mean, to the point where if I, even if I just walk in somewhere and I don't feel safe or comfortable or the energy is not right, I just leave. You know, if it's a party I was invited to or an event I was invited to, if I don't like the way I feel, I don't make that little child stay there if he doesn't want to stay there. You know what I mean? I really treat, and it's not like I treat myself like a little child. It's like I treat, I'm aware of what he wants, that little inner spirit, that intuition that lives inside of me. And if I'm not comfortable somewhere, I don't do it or I don't stay or I speak it and I say, I'm not comfortable right now and I don't want to be here or I don't want to do this, you know? Um, rather than just ignore it and say, oh, you know, you're fine, you're fine, buck up, you know? <laughs> Are you <laughs> yet or is this the first time you've taken your brother? First time. And actually, I was supposed to take my dad yeah. who's 67, um, but he backed out. And so then I changed it and took my little brother. And my, um, my, one of my best friends, Bryant Wood, I don't know if you would know Bryant, he started yeah. Modern Nirvana with me. Yeah, he, uh, he's taking his dad. So it'll be his dad and my little brother and me and Bryant. See, I think that's, that's amazing because what I've noticed with all the, the working mental health and all this kind of stuff that I do, it's, it's the older generation and it's not their fault because they've been brought up environments and conditioning. So to get them to be even open to this, to go, I yeah. think that's amazing. So you've still got well, to your dad. <laughs> I mean, I know, I know. And it's funny, he says he backed out because he owns a bakery actually. And he's like, I can't leave it for a week. You're like your mom, because she helps him there. He's like, she can't. I don't want to leave all that work just to her by herself. It's not fair and whatever. But I, I think that it's subconsciously an excuse because a few things. One, you have three months to figure it out. Three months to figure out how it's going to work, who you need to maybe put in your place for a week. Um, you know, I mean, there's like certain things and maybe some things won't be as efficient without you there, but it's one week, you know? Um, and the amount of healing you get for that one week and I'm taking care of all of it. Like he doesn't have to pay a thing. It's just kind of like, why would you not take that? You know? Um, but I don't know. It's just like everybody in their time. And actually when I was, so they call like the indigenous people will call ayahuasca mother ayahuasca. It's like a feminine energy. Right. Hmm. Um, and so they'll say they call her mother ayahuasca. And so when I was in ceremony, one of the first time I went, um, and it was mother ayahuasca, this energy told me like, you need to bring your brother. You need to bring your brother. You need to bring your brother. So it's so funny. Cause I was bringing my dad and it ended up being my brother anyway. I think, you know, when you get the call, you get the call and she's calling for him. So, <laughs> oh, I love that, man. This stuff so fascinates me now. When, when you, when you talked about the feminine energy there, that was what I've been told by two people. Now I'll need to let more in cause I'm too much in my head. And it was like, no, you need to let that part of you in to like, yeah control and oh man i think it's amazing has there been a time in the past throughout your career or anything with a tribute into well-being and wellness and mental health and stuff where you have been at that place where you've questioned yourself and how did you deal with that oh all the time i mean i still question myself all the time you know mm -hmm. um i really like 
Oh, so many times. I, I can't even give you examples. There's so many examples. I, even the most recently is probably just taking a major, major income cut by cutting down from working like six days a week to about two uh, in, in like mainstream media jobs um, in order to build modern Nirvana and to finish my novel that I'm writing, which I just finished this week. So, you know, that is even like, that brings up a doubt of, am I making a mistake and you know, whatever, but I, I just, in the end have so much faith and I just trust that it's funny. Cause I think it's like when we try to control our lives and when we think that we actually have that much control over our lives is when like kind of suffering and anxiety comes up. But when you just accept and you do your best and just trust that everything will work out the way it's supposed to, then, you know, it, it kind of alleviates all that. So I'll feel those things, but it doesn't last more than like 30 minutes or like one night of like tossing and turning and then it goes away, you know? <laughs> I feel like I'm having a therapy session with you because you're, you're, you're bringing all this that that's one of the things that I keep getting told. It's just like surrender because you yeah. can't control things. And then when you surrender, things start moving. And it's, it, it's There's amazing. an incredible book called... <laughs> There's an incredible book called Letting Go by uh, David Hawkins. Do you have it? You have it. I actually have it, mate. I've got, there's, um, I'm, I've just finished um, The Power of Awakening. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. I love Wayne Dyer. Yeah. yeah. The Untethered Soul I'm starting next. I love Untethered Soul. Yeah, I've not yeah. read it. I got handed it and someone said, you need to read this. After it's so I good. Go. What's cool about Untethered Soul, I read it like five years ago, was it talks about how I think it was probably the first time I really heard about thoughts being energy and how you could actually measure energy thoughts, thought of the energy of thoughts. And, you know, that book is the book that kind of like shaped Oprah's life. Do you, you know that, right? Or no, no I think she writes the forward for the 50th or 25th anniversary of the book. She wrote the forward for it. Wow. Um, she, her whole life was kind of mapped out by that book, her career, her marriage, and you'll actually see it because she's never been married but she's been with Stedman, the same guy for you know decades. Um, and you, there's a marriage section in Untethered Soul. And when you read it, you're like, oh, that's why she's not married. Wow. Oh, I've, yeah. I can't wait for that book now. It's, yeah, that's uh, a good one. It, oh, it's amazing. Um, what I would say, you, you just touched upon it there. Like, are you allowed to talk about your novel? Like what, what it's about or? Yeah, I could. It's, um, it's probably a long way from being published because I'll have to get an agent and then get a you know publisher and then they'll put it, they'll slate it for like six months or whatever. But it's, um, it's about, it's a young adult novel. It's actually, it has nothing to do with spirituality at all. It's a young adult novel. And it's about, um, it's about this kid who wants to be a writer. He's in Texas. He moves to California to be a writer and he ends up renting uh, the guest house of the most popular wealthy heiress in the valley and she throws these big elaborate parties and at one of the parties through a chance encounter he realizes that she's a witch and that chance encounter leads him on this summer long journey into the world of witchcraft and high society and romance um only you know to find out in the end that the real magic is just being human and being vulnerable and that's like the real magic you know it's um it's funny because all the magic is that's done in the book it's not like harry potter magic it's more just like a backdrop to the story i love that because it's mirroring real life anyway isn't it it literally yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. strength and vulnerability and whatever you go through it's when people drop these guards and i suppose that's what i've tried to create and showing people like yourself successful in the industry whatever industry it may be 
and going, you know what, we all go through the same struggles. So you think that we're up here. And one of the questions I do ask people, I've just got a couple more because I know it's your evening there, but um, people look at your, your kind of your show reel, they see you on TV, they do all this presenting. What presents to a lot of people with a lot of people on screen and that is that you're all extroverts. And what I've actually found through this campaign is like many people are actually introverts who love their time on their own. So where are you within that? I'm actually an extrovert. I'm really an extrovert. I mean, I was the person who in high school, they would like make me take my, some of my classes in the principal's office. Cause if I was in class, everybody, <laughs> the whole class would be dis distracted. I mean, I was like constantly putting on a show and, um, and then I would go to the principal's office and I would just put on a show there. And they'd all, and I, I always remember the secretary, she'd be like, you're killing me, kid. You're killing me. Cause I would just be sitting there like talking and you know, like everybody who walked in, I would want to know who they were and what they were doing. I mean, I was just always really extroverted. Um, but with that said, I'm an extreme homebody. Mm. Um, and I don't really go to like any events or anything like that unless I have to. Yeah. I mean, I'm just like really comfortable at home with my cats drinking tea you know, like I'm such an old man, like with my red light in my sauna, like I have a sauna here and I'm just like, I'm always in the sauna or, you know, I just, I'm, I'm, I, I love being at home and, but that really comes from, um, I love pampering myself and I love just like really taking care of myself, taking a bath, making tea, like making really good food. You know, I just, I like that a lot. And I don't know. I just kind of like, I, I have a really small group of friends, um, like close friends. Yeah. And so going out doesn't really excite me. And like, I don't drink really. I drink red wine every now and then and that's it. So like going out, it doesn't really excite me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I am an extrovert. You do sound, uh, if you don't mind me saying, you sound very British, a bath and a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, then I need to move to England. Oh man, just like my wife doesn't get it. It's like I'll run a really hot bath really to the top. Yeah. With a nice cup of tea and a book. And she was like, So nice. Lying in your own dead skin from the day. And I'm like, Oh, well. It's Where's fine. your wife from? Yeah. She was actually born in Thailand. She grew up in America. Then she moved to Australia. Then her family moved back to Thailand. Then she met me in Australia. And now we live okay. in Spain. So, yeah, but she can't understand it. She was like, why would anyone want to bathe in their own, like, sweat? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's nice. <laughs> it, it's lovely. England uh, was actually my last trip before lockdown uh, in March. I was there, or March? February, like late, late February. And then I, and then I came back, and it, like that week, they shut everything down. Wow. And how have you been coping during lockdown? I've been thriving. <laughs> And I don't say that to be unsympathetic because I know some people are really struggling or have struggled or, but honestly, for me, um, it was like a reset that I needed. And I don't think I would have left my, you know, high paying job. I don't think I would have moved from California to Texas. I don't think I would have um, started to build out modern Nirvana deeper. I, there's so much that would not have happened if yeah. I wasn't forced or if I didn't all of a sudden see that what was possible. Oh, you can work remotely. Oh, you can um, kind of stay home and get things done. You can't like, you don't need to constantly have things that you're running around and doing and being like fake busy, you know? Uh, I, I don't know. It was really a big reset for me. Um, obviously, I wish that we didn't have to wear a mask everywhere. I wish we didn't have to all worry about getting 
sick. I wish, you know, we didn't have to deal with these things because that part of it is not fun, obviously, you know, Um, and I can't wait for things to get back to normal again. But I am thankful for what has come out of that year for me. Um, And for a lot of people, a lot of my friends have moved. A lot of my friends have started new jobs. Um, but there are friends that I have that have lost relatives. And I had a coworker recently who her, di- her dad just died from COVID. So me, it's scary too. Yeah. Um, but as far as like my personal experience being home, I- I've been completely, totally fine with it. Yeah. I think that's yeah. one of the things, isn't it? I think like I, I lost my grandma back in the UK to it as well. And, and, mm. and, and we keep, I don't know how to say it. it's, it's kind of like, I think a lot of people are also in retrospect, like you said, they're resetting. There is a lot of things that we're actually being made to go inside as well. Yeah. We realize a lot of stuff about ourselves. but just two more questions for you. So with the campaign being called imperfectly perfect, what does being imperfectly perfect mean to you? Mm, so good. Well, I mean, I just think like we're kind of, I think it means to decondition yourself from all the things you were told you needed to be or had to be in order to live up to this image that really doesn't exist. You know, um, the, uh, even something as perfect as like a Picasso is not perfect. It's, it has lines all over the place. It's, you know, does it make sense? It's not proportionate. Um, you know, the, I think that also when you, like, for example, my book, I kept, I hired an editor and he helped me out, gave me notes and I went back and reworked it. And one thing I learned is that it's never going to be done. It's never going to be perfect. You eventually just have to say, okay, I'm done with it. I'm happy with where it's at and I'm sending it to the publisher, you know? And so just realizing that it's okay. It's like, again, going back to that inner child work of that little kid who just wants to be told it's okay. You're, you're great the way you are. I love you. You're perfect. Rather than what you were told, which is probably you need to get A's, you need to be good, you need to be quiet and sit in the corner and be well behaved and do what you're told. All these things, imagine being told that for decades, decades, decades. And a lot of it was you were told before you developed your logical mind. So you just accepted it as truth, you know? And so I think that being imperfect is just really kind of unlearning all the things that you learned. I'm loving that more people now in the spotlight are leading by imperfections. I just heard the other day, I think it was Christina Aguilera now. There's a lot of, of, of big A-listers who were doing these online tutorials. And she uh, actually said, I think it was that song, You're Beautiful, that she did it over and over again until this guy that she'd never worked with before, one of the first times this music producers actually said to her, the story is in the imperfections. And she realized that she didn't need to be perfect. And then she did one more take or something and then released it. And that's why there's like a little croak in her voice on certain parts. But oh, yeah, yeah. She said prior to that. Um, but yeah, just, just so all our listeners can find out more information about you. Where can people find you? What's next for you? Obviously, Costa Rica's coming up. Uh, what else is in the pipeline? And yeah, let us know where we can find everything about you. Okay. okay well, um, oops, sorry, I'm getting feedback. The best way is to go to YouTube and just look up Modern Nirvana or on Instagram. Um, it's F like Frank Elaridi, E-L-A-R-I-D-I. And um, there you can find, and actually if you go to my website or, or the Modern Nirvana website, which is modern-nirvana.com um, and you sign up for the mailing list, 
the two good things about that is you automatically get a copy of a book that I wrote. It's free, just an ebook that um, it's called The Enlightened Barista. And it's this very short, short novel, um, not even a novel, a short book fiction that I wrote that kind of incorporates my favorite lessons from A Course in Miracles because the book is so dense and most people don't get through it. So um, I just kind of chose like my favorite 10 lessons from that book and, and wrote this book called The Enlightened Barista. So that'll be automatically emailed to you. And also then you can know when the next conference is. Um, and what the Modern Nirvana Conference is, by the way, is just it's a biohacking slash spirituality wellness conference. We had the first one in 2019, canceled the one in 2020 because of COVID, but we will have the 2021 either in LA or in Austin, Texas. And um, it's just this incredible place to learn about biohacking and spirituality. We're hopefully presenting a really, really big, big spiritual teacher with, a, with an award for his work in consciousness. We'll have Shaman Durek there doing uh, a shamanic journey for everybody. My friend, Dr. Bradley Nelson, who created the Emotion Code, will be doing emotional healing on people from the audience. Um, Upgrade Labs, Next Health, all these really cool biohacking companies. They'll have cryofacials, infrared treatments, uh, pulse electronic, magnetic frequency uh, treatments. There's like skincare people, water companies, hydrogen tablets, like all kinds of really incredible things that most people have never heard of. And it's all in one place. Wow. So um, yeah, if on modern-nirvana.com and people can get info on that. Well, let's hope that the flights take off so that I can come to that. I know. Oh man, yes. It's, I'll get you a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> one of the last things Shaman Jurek said to me, he said, he did that thing what I just told you prior to the podcast. And then he said, yeah. Look, I need to meet you in person because I need to touch your brain. So oh, wow. I was like, so then that's oh. the perfect place to do it. Exactly. Exactly. But I just want to say on behalf of me, on behalf of the campaign, thank you for everything you do. Thank you for thank coming you. on the podcast guys. I will put all the links to Frank so you can find them throughout all our socials. So until next time, guys, again, thank you, Frank. And you can find us through Spotify or iHeartRadio. until next time, guys, keep having the hard conversations because that's how we're going to keep on saving lives and getting this conversation normalized around mental health. To find out more about the Imperfectly Perfect campaign and how you can get involved, simply head to our official website at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org or email us today at info at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org to speak to one of the team. The Imperfectly Perfect campaign is creating awareness and is not a substitute for professional advice. Should you need help, please refer to your nearest crisis number.